Hello, and I'm Annika Wills, and I played Polly in Doctor Who in 1966, and you are listening to Gallifrey Public Radio. This is Gallifrey Public Radio, a weekly podcast dedicated to positive enjoyment of Doctor Who. We travel through classic and new episodes, explore the extended universe, and play a few games from time to time. We do discuss news, content that has been officially released, and the occasional interesting rumor, but we'll warn you before anything considered spoilers comes up. Welcome to episode 453 of Gallifrey Public Radio, where the only thing worse than Carney's at the Funhouse is Carney's the Funhouse with snakes. I'm Jay. I'm Julie. I'm Kier. And I'm Haley. And this week, Tegan is back with the Doctor and Nyssa just long enough to enjoy some recurring nightmares of possession by evil forces in Snake Dance. So calling back to the trauma that she endured at the hands of the Mara in the story Kinda, Tegan is, is subconsciously leads the TARDIS to uh, uh, the planet of Minusa, where the disembodied devils attempt to gain physical form again. The Doctor learns this a bit too late, and under the Mara's influence, Tegan starts wreaking havoc on the townspeople, along with Lon, the heir to the Minusan leader's title. A scramble ensues as both sides try to find the missing jewel that would either allow the Mara's return or banish them completely. And it turns out that the legendary jewel is a crystal, uh, just like the ones ancient Minusans used to create the Mara out of pure fear, which is a story lost to everyone but the mystical snake dancers. With some captures, escapes, ritual dancing, a fair amount of evil laughing, and some of the wildest costumes we've seen in some time, it's all come down to a duel of crystals between the Doctor and, you guessed it, a giant snake. Oh, uh, I could assist uh, in whatever capacity, uh, using my discretion. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh, I could simply forget. Uh, whichever and whatever you prefer. He has served his purpose. You are no longer necessary. Look at me. No, no, please. What are you doing? Look at me. No! Look at me. I'm not going to harm you. Look at me. So the the moment that you mentioned the Mara, we're we know that uh, this is going to be a Tegan Tegan centered story. So do we feel like Janet Fielding you know delivers again in this one and being in the spotlight? Yarp in a different way, but yes. Uh, she gets to do a little bit more straight-up evil cackling a bit, but I did like her scenes in Kinda better when she was face-to-face in the dream world with Amara and had to 
go through all those mental hurdles. It sort of gave her an opportunity to do the the slow descent into evil madness. Whereas this one is like, oh, we've been here all along. We flip a switch and boom, we've got evil Tegan again. <laughs> I felt like there was a good contrast between when she's evil and then when she's immediately not. Mm. You get her face, her whole face changed. And I liked that. And mm-hmm. uh, although I think it, I, I couldn't, can't decide for myself if it was weird or okay when she was doing her deep voice, teeth out, with things. <laughs> I, I don't know if that wins me over, but otherwise, yes, I, I like the performance we got. Yeah, I liked everything we got when she got to start performing, but there was that stretch at the beginning where she was a little bit, you know, just asleep the whole time or hypnotized for, I think it was the whole first part of the story. A good chunk of that first episode, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, once she took off the uh, the retro iPod, uh, it was <laughs> like it was actually kind of fun because you could you could see that that switch, and it was it was really nice to like it's like oh no, I'm just having fun, and oh my god, help me please! Just the the instant switch to being terrified was it was really good. <laughs> In all three cases, at the end of each episode, the cliffhangers turn out to be kind of much ado about nothing. Did it feel like a letdown that more daring escapes weren't necessary? I mean, I'm I'm just tired of ending every episode with somebody screaming. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it felt a little bit like at times we were just having a scream off competition. You had Nissa and Tegan both doing their screaming bits throughout, um, but then we had that crazy lady mm-hmm. at the end of the second episode, full throated shriek. But I do appreciate the fact that at the top of the third uh, the third chapter. Uh, evil Tegan starts saying, oh, when she screamed like that, you can see right down her throat. And she's like, well, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, that's a big mouth shriek you got going on there, lady. Mm-hmm. When you don't need a laugh track, what else do you get? Yeah, that's a true. scream track. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely seemed like it was kind of like, maybe if, you know, watching this in real time and like giving yourself that week to be like, how are they going to get out of this? It, it might have been a little bit more exciting, but then coming back to it after a week and being like, oh, they they just walked away? Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, yeah. oh, the mom came around the corner and says, no, no. <laughs> yeah. That, that's all you need? Okay. Really, really feckless guards. Those guys were about as threatening as a dryer sheet. <laughs> yeah, but those gladi- half gladiators? <laughs> toga gladiators? <laughs> That's why the doctor's original plan to escape was to turn around and walk the other direction until there was a second one there. <laughs> oh, right. I didn't think they had it in the budget to make two of those. <laughs> it wasn't. It was green screened on. Yeah, right. I was almost expecting when the, the key is stolen and uh, and the director says, oh, after them, he says to the guard, he goes, you know, go, go, go capture him. And the, and the guard runs out. And you see him run away from the door. I expect to see that guy like kind of loop around behind the wall and run again to look like another guard and loop around again to look like another guard. <laughs> Just get slower like one of those. <laughs> climb down the stairs and keep running. Crouch low. I look like a short guy. Stand up real big. I'm a tall guy. Totally different guards. Totally different guards. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, not not quite the the most thrilling, daring do. But I think that's kind of indicative of, of a lot of things going on. Um Nissa in this particular story feels kind of underwritten to me personally because at the beginning she's really sort of petulant and saying, you know, look at my new outfit. Let me stand in front of you. Look at my new outfit again. Look at my new outfit. But and by the way, not an upgrade on the <laughs> outfit department. Sure. No. 
<laughs> and and uh, Sarah Sutton hated that thing. I do not blame her. She said it made her look fat. Um, but uh, I think other people were saying that it just gave uh, – it was preparing viewers for the onslaught of Colin Baker's outfit uh, <laughs> within a, a year or so's time. Uh, but – but she goes from that attitude to to being like just this echo for what the doctors as he's in the whole second installment where the doctor's sort of working out all right what's the what's the Mara really up to here and she would just sort of just parrot that back as if she was just there to help the doctor work through his thoughts and then yeah then you just get to the point where she's actually just a runner and she's just there to send information or just just sort of tag along through it and really didn't have a whole lot to do. I kind of wondered if you could have taken something in the third and fourth episodes and take that kid, um, maybe get them into some sort of a, a, of a, of a dangerous situation um, or you know, get them captured or have them actually at risk of, of, uh, of mind control and just sort of up the, the actual – risk factor of the whole thing because we didn't see a whole lot of people in mortal peril much and we didn't even have more than a couple of really sort of half-baked swords get raised it wasn't a very action-heavy story they almost yeah. got water dumped on their head come oh, on oh well there mm-hmm. well mm. you know you started talking about nissa there were a couple of times where i thought nissa had been hypnotized or something and no they just didn't write her any dialogue for the scene and stuck her in there to just yeah. stand there and watch Kind of disappointment. I think one of the most awkward moments is when they're trying to quickly move through some of the scenes and the doctor literally picks her up and puts her down. And then she says, that's not necessary. Like, "Uh, okay, what is going on here? (laughs) Uh I don't I don't need that kind of tension and stress in my life. You almost think that it's intentional, the fact that they're they're sort of um, that friction is happening between the two. Either she's trying to find ways to be more useful and he's just not seeing it or doesn't want her to be more useful. Or Tegan's not there, so the doctor has to be frumpy and upset with someone. You lost your Adric factor. Now Tegan's not there, so now Nissa's <laughs> going to catch all the flack. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, just like in Kinda, we have a story of a planet where a Federation class rules while under the surface an evil force rises and the native people have the true solution. So how does snake dance differ? Uh, fewer speaking roles for a start. Uh, only one representative of that mystic class, really, in the in the form of the of a diggle diggle diggin dalig dig the the hermit. The hermit with yeah. We'll go with Dobby. Dobby Dobby the hermit. Skinny leg. <laughs> Skinny leg, man. I was, I was waiting for him to like say something about you know making sure that you you walk when you walk it's not rhythmic so that you don't attract any attention or something like. <laughs> uh, see, he reminded me more of Rafiki um, than anybody. It's true. He even had the staff. The, it, there was, was just the stick, no yeah. little persimmons or gourds on the end. It did give us the opportunity, Joe, in that sort of sit-down voiceover sequence to have the only existence of an actual snake on set. They go and grab a couple of garter snakes yeah. and brought them in. But, oh, we can't get them to bite. Oh, they don't actually have teeth. Okay, bring in the model. <laughs> right. The mouth's not big enough to fit around part of the doctor's hand. <laughs> I know. It's just it's just giving boops to your forearm, just little nose boops. Oh well, um, I don't know. I I know a lot of people prefer snake dance as a little bit more of a concise story, and you 
don't have the Adric factor. Um, you don't have the Federation gunners out there, you know, being all militant and so forth as the as the the direct foil. But I don't know. I, I kind of I, I I appreciate the simplicity of Snake Dance, but then again, I'm also not terribly thrilled with the simplicity. You, it really is just a straight path. Yeah, you can have a simple story be interesting, and this wasn't that interesting. Like, I think Kinda was probably too complicated. I felt like there was too much going on. This didn't have enough going on. Hmm. I liked the complexity of the Mora last time as well. This time it's just the threat of them. Right. Instead of actually getting some of that interplay in Tegan's mind. You definitely got a better understanding of the complexities of the Mara as this banished, mad uh, uh, power species, right? They they were mm-hmm. fully mental, and and the and the sort of the almost the through the looking glass kind of uh, uh, manipulations of language and and just going at the sort of the this strange uh, that was the true funhouse mirror. Whereas this thing, if they're just relying on on the the scariness of a snake skull and and, and that sort of thing, and just pushing their power as uh, as just uh, instead of madness, it's just straight evil. Simplifies it a little bit too much. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. That snake head on Tegan's body looks like it's just about to go get married. It's Aww. honestly what I was thinking in the mirror. It's just this white dress. <laughs> like, sweet. Burp, burp, burp. It, it could have been a nice thing. Just give it a little crown. Oh. So, I mean, they, they did have a theme in the story, though, and they, they like constantly repeated the line, look at me, which which kind of points to the, the, the Mara as, you know, kind of leveraging fear as a as a control mechanism. So, without the fear, the villain's powerless. It's it's a basic trope, but was it really enough to hold the story together? Without the existence of other elements to to um, increase the complexity of the story? I mean, they yeah. told me to be scared, but I didn't feel scared or really have the sense that there was really any fear behind it because of the arguments back and forth about, is this real? No, it's not. It's just a curse. There was no weight to it Mm -hmm. they were really relying on the legend and the mythology and the and the superstitiousness of the of the population to carry that fear so if they didn't have the 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 corporeal form to be able to actually carry out a lot of their uh of their bidding they they couldn't you know leap at people they couldn't they couldn't show signs of, of immense strength or power to to instill that fear, and it was strictly done through memory. That fades over time, and it's been what they, they five hundred years, five hundred plus, yeah, <laughs> close to eight hundred, some some ridiculous amount of time. So a lot of those things, the stories get rounded off over time, and it just doesn't have the same, well, dare say, bite. Um, so maybe that's why it, it's 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 a little bit easier to take. Both uh, to leverage the skeptics. It doesn't have the fangs. Yeah, it doesn't have the fangs to get it done. (laughs) The poison is weak. All right, both of you go sit in a corner and think about each. Uh, (laughs) I I like the fact that you know you you had the the moment of the 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 devil attendant or whatever popping up and you know threatening to pour water and like you this weird tradition that's kind of come out of these legends and I and I like that aspect because that's. That's how those things work. You know, it's it, 
something hundreds of years ago came along and it was like, oh, well, it, you water it down and water it down over, over centuries. And you do, you get these fun little, tri- and I would have liked to have seen more of that mm. kind of wrapped into it. Like, how does this legend affect everyday life kind of thing? Or how, you know, like, how does this tie back to what the original, you know, legend actually was or something like that. Right. And it, it just felt like, oh, well, here's this funny thing we do. All right. We're, we wrapped it up and we're walking away and it's just, Mm-hmm. It kind of fizzled. I think that's where it could have actually stepped up and and made uh, made itself a true continuation to Kinda because mm-hmm. the people of Kinda were closer to the source, right? So their yeah. their stories, their legends, their beliefs, their uh, their practices were more um, uh, immediate in terms of their applicability to the to the threat that that, that they knew was there. So it wasn't a matter of mysticism; it was just a matter of of this sort of a uh, of an alternate, uh, call it a holistic or, or something um, uh, approach. Whereas here, you could take that and say, "All right, now take that that mystical belief structure and wrap it around five hundred years of the telephone game, mm-hmm. as it just gets manipulated, manipulated." That would have been fun. I want to see them, uh, no wiggly lines allowed in any designs, <laughs> stone floors so that snakes can't pop up through them, uh, things like that, That where, to Jay's point, it's part of society and they don't think about it anymore. But when you get Nissa running around or the doctor coming in and saying something like, I see no blue objects here. What's right. what's the symbolism? Mm-hmm. Why? Or a lot of mirrors and... No one really knows why they put so many mirrors in their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that headdress never came back to be important. <laughs> right. I thought that was going to be a thing. The seven, well, that, and it's like, six faces. Clearly, and- he, knew it was, he knew it was a headdress. Does it really take an advanced alien intelligence to be able to put together five heads and you put it on the head? No, Sarah, it's a sixth face. Sarah was half watching from the really? kitchen and was like, it's a, it's a headdress. You're the sixth face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, more mirrors would have helped him count those faces, which would have <laughs> tied that back in. Oh, man. Just missed a trick. <laughs> but yeah, that, that would have made a really kind of compelling. I, I will say that is probably something that you would see more frequently uh, explored in Modern Who. Because I think that's what uh, a sci-fi audience of today is expecting to see. They're, they they want to see that sort of a puzzle worked out. Or or a uh, or a creator or creative team or writers that have said, "All right, let's let's take what you know, mm-hmm. and let's extrapolate that, and force you to work backwards, because it's it's um it's just getting the getting to the to the core of the problem rather than being given something that just says, oh well, it's just sort of pervasive. The situation's all around us. It's just become part of our culture. Oh, and we mock it every once in a while because it's all silliness. But the celebration means a lot to us because it's the 500th anniversary. So there's that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. As we always ask, do we feel this one was rewatchable and would we recommend it? I don't feel like it's overly, overwhelmingly rewatchable. Um, again, one of those that like, if it came on and I was in the middle of doing something, like I wouldn't go out of my way to change it to a new story, but I'm definitely not going to go seeking it out. And I mean, really the only recommend recommendable, uh, situation I can see is if somebody really, really liked Kinda and they're like, does this lead anywhere? It's like, well, it, it kind of does here. Watch this one. Mm-hmm. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. 
Um, I think it's a it's a perfectly fine story. It's just a safe story. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, we didn't really know that Tegan was holding on to some additional mental baggage there. It emerges in this story and gets taken care of in this story. She's not 100% when, when the credits roll, because this is one of those things where it just says, they've been defeated, boo-you, and roll the credits. And she cried. She cried. She shed a tear. More than one. So she began it in an emotional state. She ended it in an emotional state, net zero. But it's fine. Um, I, I, there's nothing in it that just, I don't find myself watching it saying, this is just ridiculous, or this is just half-baked, yeah. or or this ending was way too abrupt, because it actually wasn't. Um, you know, that, that whole final sequence, while it was a bit, just, all right, doctor, grab the crystal, it's right there, <laughs> go to the wall, get it. Uh, we knew what the solution path was, and we were just waiting for them to, to finally land it. So, a mm-hmm. little different in that regard. But- recommendable if you're a big fan of janet fielding go for that um if you uh if you're a big clunas fan hey you get that or as uh, as uh, Haley and julie like to say uh this is low rent macaulay culkin i did not use the words low rent i also I just did said not use that is macaulay culkin well, that's him I, I use i use low rent as saying you know oh we can't we can't cast him well we need a lookalike we need only because he wasn't uh, like macaulay it. doppelganger it's- <laughs> so as Kier would say, uh, Laura Macaulay Culkin. Laura Macaulay Culkin. There you go. Uh, but hey, uh, Martin hey. Clunas was is uh, he's wholly entertaining in this, uh, despite the costumes. You know, make him. I think that makes him more entertaining. Well, in a Schadenfreude kind of way, I suppose. There were clouds <laughs> on his shirt. <laughs> Fancy. I like the falconer's gloves that he put on to to hide the fact that he had a, a wicked snake tattoo on his hand. Oh, mom will never suspect anything when I put these suckers on. Which he kept what? on with the fancy outfit. Which in previous scenes, you had been able to see that tattoo up his arm through the big gaps in his sleeve, but when he put the gloves on it, you couldn't see through his sleeves anymore. It was yeah. just a, it was just a small snake. Small. Mm-hmm. It got smaller so it could fit? <laughs> yeah, it was only eight inches long. Just a small yeah. snake. And Haley. Haley, what do you think? Uh, I... I I'm, I guess I'm kind of in the J camp on this one. It's not particularly rewatchable or recommendable. I could see, you know, pairing it with Kinda to just get, you know, the two bookends of that story, but that's that's about it. I'll take that one step further. If you like snakes, you should watch this. <laughs> Do you want to watch all the snake episodes of Doctor Who? If you like the idea of snakes, but don't actually want to see snakes... This is a good one. This is for you. We'll make a compendium of snake things you can watch in Doctor Who. 30 years later, Big Finish did make a trilogy out of it. (laughs) Because what do you need more of in Doctor Who? Snakes. Because snakes convey well in audio. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of balloons. (laughs) No, then you gotta buy balloons. You have free air coming right out these lungs. Yeah. Alan Tudyk, seventy-five grand per hiss. It's not a chicken. <laughs> also, not a chicken. Next week, we're going to be coming back with our Sarah Jane rewatch. We finally get to the second episode, "Revenge of the Slitheen." So we're going from snake noises to fart noises again. Yeah, awesome. That works way better on audio. <laughs> That, that is true. <laughs>
That's comedy gold. But I, I'm glad we're back to Sarah Jane Adventures. Um, we uh, we got some really positive feedback from folks that were glad that we finally decided to, to approach into the spinoff. So now that we've gone through a whole whopping six weeks of New Who, um, uh, we will we'll get back into it in earnest, only interrupted by a, by a New Year's special. All right. Well, this has been episode 453 of Gallifrey Public Radio. Until next week, this is Jay saying, hey, Kier, this time you can leave the hiss in the audio. It's thematic. <laughs> <laughs> My editing time just got easier by 15%. <laughs> oh, this is Kier saying, why does it always have to be snakes? This is Julie saying, look at me. <laughs> Excuse me, just look over here. <laughs> And this is Haley saying to everyone that's hated on this podcast before because of our potty humor, wait until next week. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Hamazi. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Gallifrey Public Radio. Want to keep the conversation going? You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or just send us a good old-fashioned email to feedback at gallifreypublicradio.com. You can also give us a phone call at 754-225-5477. That's 754-CALL-GPR, and you may hear your voice on a future episode of the show. Everything's got to end sometime, otherwise nothing would ever get started. Join us next week for a brand new episode. Godfrey Public Radio is copyright 2021. We'll see you next week.